You're listening to a live recorded teaching of the Sunday Gathering at Proclamation Church in Nashville, Tennessee. We hope that this teaching reminds you of the love that Jesus has for you. To find out more about Proclamation Church or to support the mission and vision of our ministry, visit us at proclamationtn.com. First off, uh, I need to say that uh, my voice might crack today, uh, because why? I'll tell you why. Your boy went to the game last night. Let's go, Nashville SC. Listen, we didn't uh, we didn't finish it the way that we wanted to, but that was an amazing game. For those who who watched it, anyone watched it? Can I? Who who cares? Right? We all care. Who doesn't care? Let's all like stare at them. No, no, this was, this was, uh, it was, it was a fun time, but uh, after, after the game, I was, we were walking to the car, and I was like, oh my gosh, my voice hurts. <laughs> I was like, this might not uh, bode well for tomorrow, but the Lord is good, uh, and uh, hopefully his strength will speak through these vocal cords, because they're on a struggle bus this morning. I got it, in Jesus' name. Let's not say amen to my voice cracking, Okay. Um, all right, so we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 today, um, and as Daniel was reading, you know, I, um, I remember vividly uh, when I was in kindergarten. Uh, my first day of kindergarten, my family, we had just moved from, from New York uh, to the booming town of Hamlet, North Carolina, right? Uh, and I went to, went to school, and uh, before going to school, my grandmother took me and my sister uh, shopping, school shopping, and uh, there was this, this red and white uh, pencil box that I saw at Walmart that I was like, yo, I got to have that, right? And I remember talking to my grandmother and seeing this thing for the very first time, and I was like, Granny, can I please have this pencil box? Uh, it's on the list of school shopping that I need to have a pencil box. Can it be this one in particular? And she's like, of course, baby, you, you can get that, right? So I picked it up, and uh, she told me to put it in the cart, and I was like, I don't want to put it in the cart. I want to carry it around, right? So I'm carrying it around Walmart. I'm super proud of this thing. We purchase it. Uh, we go to school on, on Monday, and I set my pencil box right in the middle of my desk because I wanted everyone to see this amazing pencil box, right? I want everyone to be just as excited about this pencil box as I was, right? And lo and behold, Kevin Pion came on the scene. Kevin is turning around and looking at my pencil box, and he turns back into, you know, looking forward. He turns back around, looks at my pencil box, looks forward, turns back, looks at me in the face, then turns back around. Within two minutes, Kevin Pion reached into his book bag that was sitting next to him, pulled out a marker, turned around, scribbled all over my pencil box, right? Man, all right, so here's the thing. Jesus is great because, you know, I had anger problems uh, when I was a kid. Uh, and I remember, so the year before that in pre-K, uh, I headbutted this kid in class for messing with my stuff, right? <laughs> Just to go to show you, I was, I was a rough kid. Uh, I remember doing that and my grandmother telling me how, she, how disappointed she was of me, and I didn't want to disappoint Granny on the first day. So I ate all the crow, right? I was, I was ticked, I was angry, I wanted to hit Kevin so bad, but I didn't, right? And I was just stewing the rest of the day. So Granny comes and picks me up from school and she's like, she's like baby, how, how was your first day of kindergarten? I was like, it was the worst. Why? Kevin. What did Kevin do? He wrote all over my pencil box. Like, Granny, you wouldn't believe how angry I was. And she's like, no, I could tell you're pretty, you're pretty upset, Derek. I can, <laughs> you can hear it in your voice. 
She said, well, did you talk to him? No, no, of course I didn't talk to him. I wanted to hit him, but I didn't want to make you sad. She's like, listen, I'm glad that you didn't hit him. <laughs> She's like, have you thought about talking to him? No, I'm not talking to Kevin. He rolled over my pencil box. She's like, She's like, baby, I think you should talk to him. I really think you should talk to him uh, because here's the thing that you need to remember. It's just a pencil box. Just a pencil box. You should go talk to him. So, you know, I went to bed thinking through, you know, even as a five-year-old running through the scenarios in my head, how am I going to say this to Kevin? Should I, should I punch him and then tell him I'm, I'm sad, right? <laughs> or should I be like, I'm like, you know what, man, you really hurt my feelings, right? So I'm going through all this. I, I was ready, you know, to have this conversation with Kevin. And I see Kevin, right? And he's sitting in front of me again, uh, at my, uh, right in front of my desk. And so I walk over to my desk. Before I sit down, Kevin looks at me and he says, he says, hey, I wrote in your pencil box yesterday. I was like, yeah, I know, you did. And then he reaches into his book bag and he says, I thought it was my pencil box that I thought that you took from me because I have a red and white one too. And I was like, dang, that looks just like mine. He was like, yeah, I thought you took mine, so I was mad at you, so I scribbled all over it so you wouldn't enjoy it. <laughs> I was like, that makes sense. And he's like, but I tell you what, you take this pencil box and I'll take the one that I scribbled over. Me and Kevin became best friends. And when I say best friends, we were friends all throughout school, all throughout high school. We were roommates in college, and we were best men in each other's weddings. We were best friends, <laughs> right? That's a long time. Uncle Kevin, yes, that's how I know Uncle Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> dealing with conflict as a five-year-old is a lot easier than dealing with the conflict as an adult. Can we say that? There's a lot of times that people scribble all over our pencil boxes, and we get pretty ticked off that we don't handle it the way that we handled it, that granny would have told us to handle it, right? Guys, this is what we're looking at in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 today. It's, it's conflict. How do we in the family of God deal with conflict with each other? Now, here's the thing. Every single one of us will walk in some level of conflict at some point in our lives. And if you haven't, it's because you haven't lived long enough. Let there be light. <laughs> if you haven't, it's because you haven't lived life long enough, but here's the reality. Every single one of us at some point will deal with conflict. We often deal with conflict by, by simply canceling people out of our lives altogether, right? Or oftentimes we can deal with this by having intentional conversations to seek reconciliation with each other. But here's the reality. First Corinthians chapter 6 is going to give us instruction on what we do when it comes to conflict with each other, okay? What does it look like for us as followers of Jesus to deal with serious conflict in the family of God, all right? Now, if this is your first time here at Proclamation Church, welcome, glad that you're here. Uh, we are walking verse by verse through the, uh, through the book of 1 Corinthians, okay? Uh, we're gonna take a break uh, from 1 Corinthians in the next couple of weeks, but you're joining us right in the middle of craziness. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, is a story about the church in Corinth, and they're wild. They're nuts. They're bananas. If you don't believe me, just listen to the sermon from last week, okay? They're all over the place. But what we're seeing is that Paul is constantly giving these remedies to the church at Corinth to show them what it means to be gospel-impacted, gospel-influenced people, okay? So every week thus far has been like a soap, uh, a soap opera, all right? Uh, so here's the thing. We see that this passage is, deals with followers of Jesus taking other followers of Jesus to court to sue them, okay? That, that's what this text is about. All right, now here's the thing. What, what Paul is going to teach us here is that some of you may be taking some of your Christian brothers and sisters to court. But here's the thing, reality. Chances are many of us won't be taking people to court, right? 
we, we don't operate in that way. Chances are, you know, we're not, we're not dealing with those things, right? The majority of us in the room aren't taking people to court. However, many of us in this room will have conflict with brothers and sisters in Christ. Many of us will. So if that's the case, how do we deal with it? What do we do with that, right? Well, let's look at this. As the family of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, here's the thing. We want to be a healthy family. We, we want to be healthy. All families have conflict. We want to be a family that handles conflict well, especially here at Proclamation Church, okay? So as we walk through this today, hopefully this will give us some ideas, a remedy on talking through conflict, all right? Now, before we jump into the text and walk through this verse by verse, let me give a couple of notes here for you to understand, all right? First, please understand, write this down, Paul is addressing civil cases, not criminal cases, all right? That's important to note. When we read this passage, it's not to be used when talking about, listen, violent crimes, physical abuse, sexual abuse, child abuse, sexual assault. If that's happened to you by someone who says that they love Jesus and they use this verse to silence you, they were in the wrong. You, you hear me? When you hear people use this verse to silence for real, for real crimes that should be serving, they should serve time for, you run from that individual who's preaching that verse in that way immediately. That's not what he's talking about here, okay? Paul is putting forward a different remedy here, okay? The second thing that we need to understand is this, is, is not, Paul isn't speaking to taking a believer and unbeliever going to court. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about us in the family of God and how we deal with each other, okay? So what's happening? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, if any of you have a dispute against another. Before we go on, I love the fact that Paul lists out disputes as a possibility in the family of God. Can we be real? Anytime you're in a relationship with anyone, there's going to be a possibility for conflict. Conflict is inevitable. And the reason why is because, man, we're, we're saints, as we're going to see, but we're also, we have a sinful nature. So conflict is inevitable. Inevitable. Conflict isn't necessarily a bad thing as well. Conflict can actually be a God thing. Even very serious conflict can glorify God in a good way, okay? And actually be one of the greatest ways that we put on display the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus through the gospel. And that's what I want us to see today, Okay? So, very first thing I want us to see today, write this down. Conflict, though uncomfortable at times, can be good. Conflict, though uncomfortable at times, can be good. The believers in Corinth have an opportunity, and they're wasting it here. They are doing conflict in the absolute wrong way. And that's why Paul says in the rest of verse 1, how dare you take it to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints. The wording here, Paul is saying, how dare you? How dare you take your conflict to the public court system and to put your cases before people who don't share the same values as you do within the family of God? You're taking your problems to courts that don't have the same values? What's wrong with you? Here's what Paul is getting at. In ancient Rome, you had lawyers and the court systems. All these individuals could be bought off by bribes, right? And so you had twisted politicians and uh, twisted court systems. Uh, doesn't sound anything like our systems today, right? Right? Just want to make sure you guys are awake. All right, cool. 
Why does Paul think that it's such a, such a failure on the part of the church at Corinth to operate in this way? Essentially, he's getting at because this is their identity. It's because of who you are, right? This leads us to one of the, uh, the, uh, one of the things that we, that we see here, right? It's uncomfortable. It can be good, right? But here's the thing here. It allows us to be who we were created to be as well. You see what, what Paul calls them to, at the, what he calls them in, at the end of verse 1. What does he say? He says, you're saints. You're saints. And then he, he says it again at the beginning of verse 2. Paul is talking to the two people here who are actually in conflict, and he says, yo, this is your identity. You guys are saints. You, you, you've been set apart. You're, you're holy, right? You've been made new. You've been made different. So what he's saying is if you know Jesus, he's taken all of your sin. He's given us all of his righteousness. We are truly supposed to be different people. We're holy people. We are saints. Paul is saying that the fact that you as saints, you should be operating in a certain way, it should change how you think and view things now, which includes conflict. Paul then goes on to explain one of the realities for those of us who know Jesus Christ. He says this in verse 2, don't you know that the saints will judge the world and if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? That's super interesting here. Have any of us heard this before? Now, here's the thing. We don't have the time to go into end times uh, theology and things like that, okay? What Paul is saying right here is at one point, some point in the future, right, we're going to be a part of judging the world. We will in some way have some responsibility or some participation in the judgment on the last days. Then he gives even more detail on what that means in, in verse 3. Don't you know that we will judge angels? That's probably a reference to fallen angels here. Somehow we're going to participate in the judgment of fallen angels here. But how much more matters of this life, he goes on to say. Essentially, Paul is saying, remember who you are. Do you guys remember that scene in uh, The Lion King when Simba's looking at the water and then Mufasa's in the cloud and he's like, remember <laughs> who you are. You guys remember that, right? That's my best Earl Jones, right? It's It's amazing. But he, he says, remember, this is what Paul is saying here. Remember who you are. This is who you are now in Christ Jesus. You're saints. We're going to be people who participate in the judgment of the world on this cosmic size scale. And you're operating as if that's not even important. So God, through Paul, is like, wait, you're telling me that you as saints, people who should know better, you guys can't get it together to figure out what it means to deal with temporary issues? If you can't figure that out now, you ain't ready for what's to come. He's like, we got to get on our game here. Essentially, what, what Paul is trying to say here in this moment, and when he's saying, remember who you are, he's saying your identity should determine your activity. This is who you are, so operate in this way. There's a right and a wrong way for saints to deal with conflict. So he keeps on going to verse 4. So if you have such matters, do you appoint as your judges those who have no standing in the church? What he's saying is like, listen, it makes no sense. You're taking your problems and putting them before people who are not standing in this place. They aren't part of the family of God. They don't share the same values as you do. Their end goal and your end goal shouldn't be the same thing. Now check this out in verse 5 through 6. He says, I say this to your shame. That's an interesting statement. We oftentimes say here at Proclamation Church, there's no shame in the family of God. 
And that's very much true. But why would Paul say that here to the church at Corinth? Well, we have to remember the culture of Corinth at the time, right? This was a culture where, where wisdom was elevated, People are flocking to listen to orators because they want to hear the the latest wisdom of the day. And Paul is like, man, you guys are silly. There are things that are considered, you're supposed to be wise, you're supposed to be considered spiritually mature. So Paul says this, can it be that there's not one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between fellow believers? Essentially, Paul is saying all of you seem to be spiritually immature, drinking baby milk still, when in fact, when in fact you should be mature, eating meat and potatoes with a salad on the side. Paul now brings in another piece of their identity. He says this in verse six, instead brothers, instead brother goes to court against brother and that before unbelievers. He says, look, here's what's happening. Our brother is suing a brother. We're family. This is one of the beautiful realities of the gospel. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, Christ saves you from your sin and the penalty of your sin. But then he also saves you into new life, family. He saves you into the family of God. This is such a beautiful reality. Ephesians chapter two, right? It will tell us that at one time, we were enemies of God. And because of what Christ has done, we are now children of God. This is your identity. Christ did something significant in your life that has completely altered the trajectory, right? He kicked open the door for you so that now we have an opportunity to be a part of the family of God. This is who you are, (laughs) which means we have brothers and sisters in the faith who we share a common spiritual DNA with. What is that? Each one of us has the spirit of God living inside of us. If you've been with us as we've been walking through 1 Corinthians, we saw in chapter 2 that because the Spirit of God lives in us, we now have this mind of Christ, right, which means we can think like Jesus thinks, we can feel the way Jesus feels, we can do what Jesus would do. We are family. All of our stories are the same. What's that? A story of forgiveness. You and I, every single person in this room, if you know Jesus, guess what? At one point in time, you were super-duper messy but God, but his grace for you, but his forgiveness towards you, but his love towards you. And so now our mess doesn't identify us. We are now sitting as righteous sons and daughters of the most high God because of everything that Jesus has done for us. That's our story. So all of us as the family of God, we know what radical grace and forgiveness looks like because it's been poured out on us. And now Paul is like, now you have an opportunity to do that with each other. (laughs) Easier said than done, let's be honest, right? I I, I want us to think about this, right? I want us to picture ourselves in heaven, right? And we're, we're singing hallelujah, glory to the lamb who was slain. He's done all these things for us. I'm I'm in the throne room of grace right now. I've been praying about it, but now I see it eye to eye. Praise God. And then we look over and said, I can't believe that person in here. Mm. I remember what they did to me. I remember what they said to me, but glory be. (laughs) 
What does that look like? That, that's not what's going to take place. And so we have an opportunity in the here and now to deal with conflicts, to work through those things in such a way where we're preparing our hearts for what's to come. Is there anyone in your life right now that you're saying, I don't like? <laughs> is there anyone in your life right now that's like, man, side-eyeing the heck out of them because of what they've done or what they said? Listen, family. Jesus has redeemed us. We're the family of God. He went to the cross so that you and I could experience his forgiveness. And because we experience his forgiveness, we now have an opportunity to extend forgiveness to others. Heaven should just be one perpetual family reunion that we're looking forward to. But the work begins now. Who, should, who are you determined that you have conflict with right now that maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit is drawing you in such a way to seek that conflict resolved. Again, I know easier said than done, but here's the thing. Our identity, remember, should determine our activity. Conflict can be good, but it can be good also because of this. It gives us a chance to show off the gospel. You ready for this? Did you see what Paul said at the end of verse 6? He said, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now, as I was kind of looking at this and looking at common, uh, uh, commentators on this, here's what they say. They say they're talking about the shame that is coming on the church because people are trying their cases in public. That essentially people who, who if, if we're believers and we're bringing cases out and we're doing all this different stuff in the, in the eyes of an unbelieving world, they're looking at him like, I thought y'all was supposed to be Christians. I thought that brotherly love, isn't that what y'all talk about? Forgiveness, grace, and redemption? What, what, what's this? Why, why are you bringing this up to, up to here, right? This is what Paul is talking about here. Essentially, remember, just, just imagine two followers of Jesus going to court, and their representatives, their lawyers, are just ripping each other apart. Man, that's terrible. That's why Paul says, what a shame. How embarrassing for the church, not only for the church, for the gospel. How can unbelievers even begin to take the church or the gospel seriously? How can believers proclaim a message of forgiveness when they're tearing each other apart in court? Paul's saying there's something that has to give here. He's saying you going to, to court, that's a shot in the face of the gospel. Can I be transparent with you guys? Cool, I will. <laughs> I can think of countless times where I've been frustrated with somebody and instead of bringing it to them first, I've gone to someone else and be like, man, you ain't going to believe what so-and-so said. And then eventually that person who's listening to me talk about so-and-so, they go, like, man, I can't stand that person. They're such a pain, right? And so now I've got myself and this other brother or sister looking down on another brother or sister based off something that that brother or sister did to me. Am I the only one that's, you know, will admit that that's happened in their lives. Anyone else has done that? Okay, I guess the rest of y'all love Jesus better than me. Fantastic, right? I'm glad. For the rest of us who are honest in here, 
Can I just say that every time we've done that, we've missed out on an opportunity to show off the gospel in the midst of conflict. We've missed out on an opportunity to, to, to show grace and forgiveness that's been given to us, extend it to somebody else in spite of. Man, what a missed opportunity for us. And I don't say that to shame us, but I say that to put in perspective the chance that we have. Every single time we are in conflict, we have an opportunity to show off the gospel. Because here's the thing, you ready? When we're putting the gospel on display in our conflict, it allows us to grow deeper in our understanding of the cross. This is what I mean by that. Look at me, look with me at verse seven and eight. As it is to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat for you, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do this to brothers and sisters. Here's what Paul is saying here. When you take someone to court, when you sue them, your goal is to win, right? I've been wrong. I'm trying to right said wrong. Your goal is vindication. Your goal is justice. But Paul's point here is that, listen, your goal is to win. If your goal is to win, guess what? You're going to lose. That's what he's getting at. Just the fact that these believers in Corinth have taken another brother to court in hopes to winning, Paul says, you've already lost. This is, in a way, kind of turning things on its head. This is what I mean by that. The goal of the court system is to execute justice. And Paul is saying, if you're going to go to court to get justice, for you, that's winning. But it's actually losing. In certain civil cases, which means the reverse becomes true in Paul's logic. To lose is to win. Does that make sense? Cool. Let me build out on that a little bit more, okay? This is what I mean. First Peter. Peter's going to help us truly understand what Paul is saying here in this idea, okay? First Peter chapter 2, 19 through 20. He said, Paul, uh, Peter says this, For it brings favor if, because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. You understand what Peter's saying here? He's saying, listen, look, if you want to know what, find, what, what brings God's favor, what brings about God's favor, it's that there's a willingness for you to suffer and endure injustice. Then he goes on to say, listen, in, in uh, 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 verse 21, for you are called to this. You're called to this way of life. What is that? What is that? To suffer to suffering unjustly. Do you see this? What, P, what Peter is saying here in this moment is, is, is this, okay? Do you want to know what you've been called to by God? You want, you want to know what it means to follow Jesus? Suffer. You're suffering. Look at the second part of verse 21. This is because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you what? An example leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Speaking of, of kindergarten, remember, I remember taking this class where we had to learn to write cursive, right? And in order to write cursive, there were these uh, letters that we were given that we had to trace it out. You, you remember that? In order for you to write, you had to trace out certain things, right? Follow it with your pencil in order for you to learn. What Paul is saying is Jesus has left us to trace marks. So now we follow his example so we know what it looks like to live in this way. 
If, if Jesus suffered, then guess what? We too are called to suffer. We too are called to suffer. Paul is saying it's through suffering wrong you enter into God's will for your life. And it's through suffering that you actually receive God's greatest blessings and reward in your life. Which is what? Verse 22 through 23. He says this. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. He didn't do nothing wrong. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Don't miss what Peter's saying in this section. If someone in the church wrongs you and you choose to be wronged over suing them, then this is when, guess what, you are the most like Jesus. When you have been wronged by someone and you in turn then turn the other cheek, you are gracious and you extend forgiveness, you are operating in the same way that Jesus has operated towards us. I love that. This is when you're the most like Jesus. This is when you truly have your heart and your eyes set on the cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus makes more sense when we're walking through suffering. When we've been wronged and we're extending grace, it's like, yo, the gospel makes sense. Why? Because you and I have offended Jesus. We have wronged him. And he's still extending grace to us. He's still offering forgiveness to us. And now Paul has the audacity to be like, yo, be like Jesus. <laughs> Suffering is, is, is gonna stink. But man, when you do it, you are being reminded of the gospel. You're being reminded of the cross of Jesus. And you have an opportunity to point people to that. Nobody likes to suffer. Nobody likes to be done wrong. Can I show of hands, you'll admit this. Do you like suffering? Why is no one raising their hands today? <laughs> Follow the leader. Do you like suffering? No, of course not. No one does. Thank you, Tina. I need some hands up, please. Did I say it wrong? Raise your hand if you don't like suffering. Oh, okay, okay, my bad, that's, that's me, okay? Let's pray. <laughs> that's my bad, okay? You guys do my job for like two seconds, okay? Talking is hard sometimes. Nobody likes suffering, all right? <laughs> Nobody likes it. But here's the thing, if we could take it a step further, when we suffer and when we deal with conflict, guess what? It actually gives us a chance to show us that our faith is real. You ready? <laughs> this is what I mean by that. I love you guys, all right? <laughs> Verse nine, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. We're going to talk about this a little bit more next week, but this is what Paul is saying just in a nutshell here. He says, look at me. I want everybody in Corinth to listen up to what I'm about to say here. If you're the one who's doing the wrong, if you're the one who's defrauding your brother, your sister, you don't feel bad about it, 
you're making bad business deals, if your character is compromising, watch out. He's saying be careful because chances are you very well might not know Jesus. If you can willingly live a life in such a way that's countercultural to what Jesus is actually calling you to and feel okay by doing that, he's saying you might not know Jesus. The kingdom of God might not be in your future because when you look at the fruit of your life, it should reflect the kingdom first. And one of the ways that you show how you're reflecting the kingdom is how you're treating other people, how you're interacting with each other. But check this. At the same time, he's looking at the person who's been wronged. And he's like, listen, if you cling to your rights way more than being forgiving, if you just continually demand that your temporary situation is restored to exactly what you want it to be and you're clinging to your rights, there's actually a form of greed in there, which is listed in the, in the verses here. There's a, there's a form of greed that you yourself need to be careful of. That if you would much rather keep on side-eyeing someone instead of seeking restoration with said, with said someone, man, maybe the Spirit of God isn't really working in your life the way that it should be. So he's saying, watch out. Your values aren't synced up with the values of the king. And that's a scary place to be in. But yet he finishes in verse 11, which I love. What does he say? Some of you used to be like this. What is he doing again? Reminding them, remember who you are. This is how you used to operate, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Do you see what he's saying here? Guys, look. I'm telling you to watch out, but I'm also telling you to be reminded of who you are. Jesus has done a significant work in your life. He has washed all the filth of your sin away. That's what he did. When you put your faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he's washed you clean. That's who you are. That's who you are. It's not an if, and, or but. That's who you are. Point blank, period. He sanctified you, which means he sets you apart. He's put a spirit in you. He's justified you, which means that you are in right standing with God. So then, be right with each other. Do, do you see the connect now? It's, it's difficult because here's the thing. Sometimes we're still very messy. We're still very much focused on self. We would still much rather put down than to pull up. And Paul is saying, no, that's not who you are. Be who you really are. He's made you new, so live like it. Look new. Don't let the greatest shaping forces of your life be the world of your rights. I will. I will, Micah. Don't let the greatest shaping forces of your life be your rights. That's hard. That's so hard. But when I'm depending on myself to do it, guess what? I'm missing out on the opportunity for the spirit to do it in me. 
when I'm relying on the Spirit and His strength to do that, now I have an opportunity, as Scripture says, to submit myself to each other. I don't have to be right. So what do we do with this? Where do we go from here? Because this is going to be hard. This is super practical, probably some of one of the practical, most practical sermons I'm ever going to give you, okay? And you're welcome for that, all right? What do we do in these moments? Well, number one, respond to God instead of reacting to the person. This is what I mean by that. Our tendency is to want to react. What was my tendency when Kevin scribbled on my, my box? I wanted to knock him out. We, we oftentimes want to react to the person. But, but now as followers of Jesus, we have an opportunity first and foremost to respond to God. God, why did that make me so upset the way that it did? Why, why did that hurt me the way that it did? Why, why am I so frustrated? Man, when's the last time we truly spent time with God in prayer when we've been wronged? That's hard. That's hard because we want to be vindicated. But we have an opportunity. God, in his grace, has given us an opportunity to step away from the conflict for a season and just meet with him. God, give me the ability to see as you see, to respond as you would respond, to move as, as you would move, right? Get alone and pray. Maybe sometimes in your prayer life, you just need to say, God, am I making a bigger deal than what this is? Am I? Help me see that. Now, here's the thing. There are some situations where it can be just as small as someone scribbling on your, on your pencil box, right? But let's be real. There are moments in life when people do us wrong. People do us dirty. What do we do with that? Number two, be a problem solver instead of a problem spreader. That is good, Tina. Be a problem solver instead of a problem spreader. Man, what does it look like for me if I've been wronged to actually go to the person who's wronged me and have a conversation with them? Now, I'm not saying, because if you're like me, I need time to process my emotions, right? I'm sanctified, but boy, I still get really frustrated. And I, and I don't want to operate in my emotions, so I need time to, to step away and process. And sometimes that could be a couple of weeks. You ready for this? Sometimes it'd be a couple months. Sometimes it could be a couple years. I, I won't go into detail, but... There was a situation here recently where it's, it's literally been a year and some change that it was only after going through this text this week that I was like, yo, I'm in the wrong. I'm in the wrong. There ain't no way in good conscience I could preach this sermon and not do what I'm supposed to do. I had to send a text message. Yo, can we talk on the phone? Had about a 30-minute 30, 30 conversation on the phone, and both of us were at a spot where was like, you know what, hey, oh, yeah, you were wrong. I was wrong too. I was wrong too. This individual said, we did not represent the gospel well. And I said, you're right, we didn't. We didn't. Now, I'm not saying we're going to be the best of friends, but we were able to resolve it in such a way because why? Resolve to be a problem solver, not a problem spreader. Full transparency, that situation, I found myself being a problem spreader too. <laughs> I, I was over here being like, yo, can you believe this individual? To which these people are like, yeah, that son of a gun. And I was like, yo, I, I got to get that right. 
And listen, I'm not saying I'm like the, the, the greatest example of this. I got many situations I'm probably going to have to do that with. But it starts with meeting with God and realizing, yo, there are some things that aren't lining up. I got to get it right. I got to be a problem solver, not a problem spreader. And in those moments where it's still difficult for you, number three, ask for help. Yo, I need you to pray for me because my, my heart ain't the way that it's supposed to be. This, this is hard for me. Going back to said situation that I just shared, there was a handful of people that I text. I was like, yo, I'm, I'm going to send a message to this individual. Pray for me. Hey, I'm, I'm going to do what I feel like I need to do here in this situation. Ask me how that goes so I don't prolong this. And then there are some situations where as you're having said conversation or wanting to have, have said conversation where you're like, yo, I can't do this by myself. Will you come with me? Having someone in your family group come with you. Having a, a friend of yours come with you. Now, I will say if you're going to do that, let that person know that someone else is coming with you because you don't want to ever be blindsided by having someone else come and be like, yo, I feel like y'all attacking me, okay? Wisdom, because it's happened to your boy, right? And it does not feel good. Make sure that you are letting someone know, hey, I've, I've got an issue, and it's hard for me to have this conversation. Man, I'm bringing so-and-so with me to kind of play mediator. In fact, we see in the, in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, where, where uh, Matthew, Jesus is instructing, yo, bring, bring the church in on these, on these issues. If, if there's something going on, man, bring two or three people with you to help deal with this matter in such a way that we can see restoration take place. And like I said, it might be more than one conversation too. Be okay to resolve to say, you know what, hey, we've gotten to the point where we're at right now. It don't seem like we, you know, bucking on either way. Let's, let's pause here, maybe, maybe come back in a couple weeks. There's wisdom in that. It's okay to do that, right? Peace talks take a long time. And it's okay to take the time to process what you need, okay? Guess what? Because God is still going to be there waiting when you guys are sitting down together. <laughs> He's going to make that happen. And then, if all else fails, number four, consider sharing in Christ's sufferings. Verse seven, one more time, says to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Maybe the situation simply calls us to come to the consideration, like my granny told me when I was five years old, it's just a pencil box. There's way more important things. It's just a pencil box. What if we could each say this about our spiritual family and about the family of God? What if we could each all get to a place where we would say in situations in our midst, it's a pencil box in light of all of eternity, in light of the witness of the gospel, in light of what people are seeing and saying about the church, it's just a pencil box. Romans 12, 18 says this, if possible, meaning there's a possibility that it won't be, but if it's possible, he says, live at peace with all men. As much as it relies on you, what Paul is saying is, guess what? There's a possibility that you may not be at peace with people, but at the same time, do what you need to do to make sure that you are at peace. Because it takes two to reconcile, but one to forgive. At the very least, on my end, yo, I, 
man, I can extend forgiveness here. Again, Paul ain't telling me I got to be best friends. Man, there, there just might be some individuals who's just like, man, man, I love you, but I love you from a distance. When you see, it's so interesting to me that Paul is the one having this conversation, right? When, remember, in, in Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas had said that they had a sharp disagreement. They were boys. And they had a sharp disagreement and went separate ways. Nowhere does it say that they ever reconciled, but did you, if you notice all throughout Scripture, Paul references Barnabas from time to time and mention, mentions the work that they're doing. Hey, that's good work over there. And in fact, the sharp disagreement was over a guy named John Mark, right? And Paul says in one of his letters about John Mark, yo, John Mark is a benefit to the ministry. But nowhere does it say that they're best friends anymore. Paul has come to recognize like, yo, they got work over there, praise God, blessings on that. We've got work over here too. If possible, I'm gonna live at peace with these individuals. But understand, sometimes it's just difficult. And here's the thing. Some of you right now, here in this moment, have been carrying hurt for a long time because of something that someone has done to you. And you've been holding on to it. You haven't spent time asking the Lord, man, help my heart to forgive that person. We need to have this opportunity to share in the sufferings of Christ where he's calling us to, man, this may be a burden for you, but it's making you more into the image of the son. One of the many ways that we share in this is by remembering Jesus' bloodshed and body broken for us. We remember by taking communion. This communion that we're gonna take today is gonna be very interesting, though. Here's why I say that. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which we're gonna look at later on, Paul challenges the church that they should, before taking communion, examine themselves. That there's something going on internally in such a way that could bring judgment on you for taking the bread and the cup wrong, wrongly. He says, he says, you should wait on that. You should pause on taking the bread and the cup. And so maybe before we, you know, invite you all to, to take the bread and the cup today, Maybe internally right now there's something in your heart, some wrong that's been done to you that you haven't extended that forgiveness yet. So here's what I want us to do. Our elders are gonna come forward. And as they come, I want you here in this moment to bow your heads. When Paul says examine ourselves, the question I wanna ask you today is this. Are you harboring some resentment? some division against a brother or sister. If you are, we want you to, want you to reconcile in some way in your heart that issue, that problem. Maybe today the Lord is calling you to forgive radically. And if that's the case, maybe you might need to forgive in person. And if that's the case, I want to lovingly challenge you with something. Hear me say this. This isn't, again, not to shame or anything like that. Maybe this month you shouldn't take the bread and the cup. 
Maybe you should let the elements pass by you today so that you have a month's time to figure out what it looks like for you to respond to that person instead of continuing to spread discord. That you can respond to that person by saying, yo, you, you hurt me. You said this, you did this, you operated in this way. This is how this made me feel. You, you're bringing that up to them. But then you're setting yourself up in a spot where you can say, but I'm extending this forgiveness to you. Maybe, maybe you need to do that before taking the bread in the cup this month. And, and if so, listen, that's fine. That's okay. There's nothing to be ashamed of in that because here in this moment, you're examining yourself. And for the rest of us, there are individuals who would say that they don't know Jesus. We would say, hey, right now the bread and the cup isn't for you at all. Not to shame you either, but to say you have yet to truly believe what these things represent. And so we just want you to watch as the rest of us participate in the taking of communion. But I want you here in this moment to sit and ask the Lord to do work. And as he's doing that work, like I said, the elements are up here. We would ask that you take the next two to five minutes to do that, to process. And then as you feel led by the Spirit, you come up. You take the bread and the cup from, from one of us. At your seat here in front of us, you take that and you rejoice in the fact that you have an opportunity to live in the forgiveness and the grace that the Lord has given to you. You do that. We'll be here, and I'll lead you in just a second.